inside is Pharaoh looking for two. Doncaster straight. Can he do it again? Light up the world is getting up near the fence. But Pharaoh, Pharaoh dashed to the lead from Abbe Glenn and light up the world, followed by Aragen and Brave Warrior. But Gavin Eads goes for home on Pharaoh. Look at Auntie Mary. Auntie Mary out of the back. This podcast is brought to you by Racing New South Wales, Sky Racing and Pride's Easy Feed. Ticket sales are humming along for the 2023 Kosciuszko sweepstakes. 14 lucky ticket holders will get to share in the $2 million prize money on offer for this year's edition of the world's richest race for country and ACT trained horses. $5 sweepstake tickets are available until the 6th of September via the Tab app, local pubs and clubs, TAB agencies and at New South Wales race meetings. 14 winners will be drawn on Friday's September the 8th and those winners will be in a position to offer their slots to the owner or owners of one of the Kosciuszko runners. Slot holders and owners will negotiate a prize money split suitable to both parties. It's hard to believe five years have passed since the Grafton train Bell Flyer won the first Kosciuszko on a heavy track. 2019 it was the Canberra train to handle the truth. 2020 the scone mare It's Me who finished very fast to win the big race. 2021, Arcado became the only horse to win the country championship Kosciuszko double. Last year, the Wagga train front page was an impressive winner and is expected to line up again in 2023. Ticket sales close September the 6th. Draw will be held on September the 8th and will be broadcast live on Sky Thoroughbred Central and racingnewsouthwales.com.au. There's a certain veteran jockey up Coffs Harbour Way who recently hinted that his race riding days are over. Now, many of Stephen Tracy's friends took that hint with a grain of salt, largely because he's been saying the same thing for the last 10 years. It's also relevant that he's still riding up to eight horses in track work six mornings a week for several Coffs Harbour trainers. It's equally relevant that his wife Donna only last week was the successful bidder on a rising two-year-old filly by Prince of Caviar on the English Digital Auction. If that youngster makes it to the races next year, there are no prizes for guessing who'll be riding her. Stephen rode his first winner at his fifth race ride in 1975. It was to be the first of 1,380 winners, according to all official records. There are no Group 1s on his CV, but there are many important country races, including a Grafton Ramoni handicap and two Coffs Harbour Gold Cups. Northern New South Wales trainers say there has never been a jockey like Stephen Tracy for dedication to track work. It's a fact of life that jockeys in their mid-sixties no longer command the rides to which they've been accustomed. Steve understands that, but he finds it difficult to keep away for the plain, simple reason that he just loves riding racehorses. Stephen Tracy has been an ornament to the game for half a century, and he's been a friend to an army of owners and trainers. There's no way... I'm letting this bloke get away without the tribute he so richly deserves. Steve Tracy, welcome to our podcast. Thanks for your time. Thank you very much, John. Um, Geez, you've given me a huge rap there. (laughs) Oh, it was just, um, thank you very much. Uh, It's very kind of you to say those things. Thank you. Steve, and they're all true. Uh, (laughs) I've done my best over the years to try and um, keep people happy. I've I'm just one of those people that that um, I will help anybody out if I can, and um, it's just just the way I've always been. Dedication, that's um, yeah, that's pretty pretty true too. My old boss, the late great Ken Howard, had a saying, Steve, years ago. He used to say, "No man alive can do better than his best." That's true. Yeah, very true. When you were heard to say recently that you were quitting the saddle, many of your friends were heard to say, not again. <laughs> Very true. Um, <laughs> every every year it'd be the same. This will be my last year. I'm, I won't be renewing my licence next year. And I think it has been going on for 
oh, probably 10, maybe 12 years. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I don't know. It's just something that always, oh, I'll give it another year, give it another year. Anyway. Well, you haven't missed a morning at the track since making that announcement. You tell me you're riding about eight horses most mornings. Steve, yes. eight's pretty good. You know, there are glamour jockeys all over Australia who don't ride eight each morning. <laughs> yeah, that's fairly true. Yeah, the lucky ones. <laughs> now, which trainers are you riding work for? I'm um, riding for, for um, like, Donna, my wife, uh, mm. We and we've got only three here at the moment now, mm. um, and Jim Jarvis and Chris Jarvis, who, um, look, they are unbelievable people, um, unbelievable trainers to me, like um, they're just that dedicated to me. Mm. Um, like I, I turn up there every morning and, and and I'll help them out as much as I can. Like they're terrific people and do everything for you. So And just they're willing to put me on anything I want to ride. So mm. um, I'm just blessed to be actually tied up with them. I've... I've been up with them for many, many years since I moved to Coffs, which was about 2013, I think it was. Yeah. Um, and I've ridden, yeah, a couple of Ballina Cups for Jimmy and, um, yeah, had a lot of luck for Jim. Mm. David and Julie Matz uh, utilise your services. I think Trevor Whittington gets you to jump on one or two yeah, each morning. Yeah, Trevor Whittington, um, he moved from the Gold Coast probably about seven or eight months ago. Um and he's got three in work, three or four in work, and I, I help him out as much as I can. David and Julie Matts, um, I jump on a couple of theirs every morning. Good on you. Just to help them out too, so, yeah. Have you been on the scales in recent weeks? <laughs> yeah, I weigh nothing. I'm, I Like if I was to go to the races on Saturday, I would ride the limit in about a three-pound saddle, which is what a Good two, two Yeah, I'm pretty light, so. And are you one of those lucky jockeys that can eat a decent meal occasionally? Every I yeah I have no trouble eating at all. Like I, I'll eat going to the races. <laughs> stop Good stop and get a feed on the way to the races, and mm. yeah, it's um, I have no trouble at all. Well, I mean, what a blessing that is, and it's it's got to be largely the reason uh, for uh, your long your longevity. Yeah, um, like in the olden days, or in the seventies and eighties, when you had to be able to ride. 48 kilos, like you um, say 51 even, like um, I struggled a little bit then, like to, because my natural weight was around 52 kilos. Mm. Um, and so when you had to ride 51 or 48 or something, that was like I'd done it tough then. Mm. But um, since like the weight rate, the weight scale has changed so much, like the limit now, it's just unbelievable like to, to ride 54 I can eat what I like and yeah so it's very good you'd be out for a four course meal the night before a race meeting <laughs> nowadays well, and you'd brush home with a couple of after dinner mints yeah <laughs> well I'm, I'm yeah yeah possibly but um actually no I'm, I've never been one to go out go out for a meal like the night before or I'm, I'm an early – I, I get into bed at 6.30 every night and I'm asleep by 7. Like, oh, you're but I am, No, no, I'm up. <laughs> but I, I am up at 2 a.m. every morning, so. Yeah, you don't even finish the news. <laughs> no, I fall asleep watching it. We've got a TV in the in the room, but I, I fall asleep watching it. Donna turns it off. <laughs> well, Steve, as a bad sleeper, uh, as I am, I am extremely envious of you. <laughs> Yeah, I suppose it's um, I don't yeah. know. Like I, I don't know. I just work. I do work ha- like reasonably hard for somebody my age, I suppose. And mm. um, like I said, we've got three of our own to look after as well. So, mm. tell me about this rising two-year-old filly Donna purchased on the Inglis online sale recently. She's a member of the first crop by Prince of Caviar. He happens to be by Sebring out of the legendary Black Caviar. Now, the Phillies Dam is a mare called Nutcracker, and coincidentally, your wife trained Nutcracker to win a Coffs Harbour Maiden a few years ago. I think you were the jockey on the occasion. She had a few issues, didn't she, Nutcracker? She did. She um, she came from Chris Waller. Uh, she was on the auction site 
she'd had an operation on her knee, mm. and um, I think from what I look, what I remember, I don't think they thought she was going to be able to stand up. Um, after even like she must have suffered a little bit of damage to the knee. Anyway, she went on the auction site, mm. um, Nutcracker, and um, a fella here bought her that we were training for, and. Um, we got her here, and she was a very, very heavy, strong mare. Mm. Um, but when we got her and I started to ride her work, she just gave you the best feel, and I thought she wasn't didn't feel lame or anything. She wasn't favouring any leg, but um, she gave me the best feel, and I just thought, geez, we could, I think we can win a race with this mare. Like, mm. And we nursed her along, um, and we run – Give her a, I think she had one start before she won a race for us, but we had her in a mile maiden here at Coffs Harbour. She drew the outside alley, 16 alley, and um, and she jumped and she just travelled across herself. Like she gave me the best feel along the back section of the straight. Mm. And she, she crossed them uh, like under her own steam and led be about a length and a half without spending a penny and mm. honestly she straightened up and I just give her a bit of a dig and she just went away from and like it was a super win like mm. really good win strong win from the from the mayor and um, yeah she never reproduced it though did she no she actually um she she went she bust, like done a leg the other leg she was trying to save oh, yeah. the one that she had the operation mm. on and she um done a Oh, suspensory or tendon or so. I just can't remember what it was. Mm. But she broke down in the other leg. And, um, but we saved her and she went on to breed. So mm. now we've got, now we've got a baby of hers. So. Yes, absolutely. And you tell me your baby, your new filly, is already broken in. That's She's a big start. In. Mm. It is. It's a, a huge advantage. Um, Donna. Donna bought her. She uh, eight and a half thousand. We paid for her, and um, she got here three days ago. Um, we got her from Denman down in New in Musselbrook Way, and she came up here, and um, she's arrived. And she's a beautiful, beautiful filly, um, very much like a mother. Um, easy to do anything with. We haven't put a saddle on her yet. She's um, she'll probably. We won't, we'll just let her sort of settle in here for until next week. So it's Monday, next Monday, she'll be starting off. Mm. Well, Steve, let's go forward six months or so. You will have put many hours into her education by then. You'll yep. know her better than any other rider. Now, <laughs> let's assume she can run a bit and let's assume she's going to make it to the races. They'll yep. need the army to keep you off her, won't they? <laughs> Yeah, probably two armies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought so. Um, yeah, um, you know, it's you just get a feel for a horse. A, a jockey, you just, I don't know, there's just something about getting on one that can gallop. They give you this feel underneath you and you just think, oh, this is something special. <laughs> you know? Yeah, like, of course. And, um, yeah, it's an unusual, you, you can tell, you get on one that's, I don't know, they just sort of slap happy go around and they some of them feel like they're just I don't know, you just have this is no hope, you think you Yeah, they're going through the motions. <laughs> yeah, that's they're just doing their job and that's it. Mm. Yeah. But, well, anyway. your last race ride was a third placing on Diamonds Are Trumps at Coffs yeah. Harbour. Your last winner was a horse called Another Balcony Boy for your old mate Jim Jarvis. That was at yeah. Coffs not yeah. long ago in March. Yeah. So only time will tell if those statistics will stand. Yeah. Yes, that's right. Um, time will tell. It tells a lot of things, Tom. You and Donna live on the property previously occupied by Joe Janiak, and that yes, place um, was once the home of Takeover Target. Yeah. You retired in 2009 with $6 million in the bank. Yeah. Joe kept him in light work, Steve, as you recall, for the inevitable exhibition appearances, and there were plenty of them, and you rode him in most of that track work. Yeah, I, um, after, yeah after he finished racing, um, like I like I was lived in here in the, above the, in the unit above the stables, and um, I was riding in a little bit of work. Joe used to like 
the horse, he, well, he said the horse loved to, to be worked mm-hmm. and we used to ride him, you know, of a morning, give him a little bit of work and um, on race days at occasional meetings, he'd um, do exhibition gallops and um, it was a great privilege and a great honour to be actually able to ride it, the horse. Like, mm-hmm. he he was a beautiful horse to do any with, anything with and, and all the, my appreciation to Joe for, for allowing me to ride the horse, like mm. who, who I think was the greatest sprinter we've ever had. I, I honestly do. Mm. Well, he's um, certainly up there with them. Not too oh, many yeah. win at Royal Ascot as he did. No, no, definitely not. And you rode him in some of those farewell appearances too, didn't you? Yes, I did. Mm. Yep. Let me take you back a bit. You're a Balmain boy. Born in 1956 <laughs> when the Tigers had an enormous following. Yeah. Dawn Fraser was an icon in the district at that time. And you she tell was. me you can actually remember Dawn visiting your parents. Oh, I do. Um, my, my grandparents and my parents, we were friends. Well, they were friends with Dawn and um, she used to come around and, yeah, she she um, visited us all the time and we um, she gave, actually gave us... Um, some postcards and cards with her signature on them mm. and we kept them for years and years and whatever happened to them, I have no idea. Mm. But, um, yeah, it's it's astounding to, to the people. You know, later on in life you think, oh, I actually knew Dawn Fraser. Like, <laughs> Oh, yeah. Uh, so, um, our Dawn. Yeah. Your dad, Bill Tracy, was a jockey and a well-respected one. He rode many winners in northern New South Wales and you were at the races watching him ride, weren't you, from a very early age? I was. Um, my brother and I, well, both my brothers and I, we'd go to the races and my sister even, like, and we used to, we'd, we'd see him going around and we'd, for some, I don't know, we just, <laughs> we used to run up and down, like, the fence, right, chasing the horses, you know, I don't mm. know, pretending we were jockeys. Yeah. And we'd, <laughs> we'd be running up and down the fence when the race was on and, cheering dad on and um, I don't know, it just was in my blood. I just wanted to be a jockey no matter what. Yeah. Your dad's career was halted in the mid-1960s by a race fall, which left him with a badly broken leg. When he recovered, he decided to give the riding away for a while and look for an on-ground stable job. And to do that, he had to go all the way to Woodford in New Zealand, where he worked as stable foreman for a man who was destined to become a very big name in Australian racing later. Yes, Sid Brown. Mm. Um, yeah, I, re- I remember it. Like, I was six-year-old when we went to um, to New Zealand, moved to New Zealand, and we were there for about six years. Um, and he was, yes, he was. He was stable form for Sid Brown. Mm. And we, tr- like, Dad used to put us in the truck and we'd go, from Wellington to Auckland for the Cup Carnival, like, and we'd stay away for a fortnight or something, taking the horses up to Auckland. And um, yeah, I was used to go to to school with Errol Brown, who's Sid's son. Yeah, um, and that was like unbelievable times. Like, um, it's it's the upbringing that I had to be actually involved in racing, to go to do to meetings like that. Um, it was just unbelievable, and I, I just live in awe of those sort of trainers, like Sid Brown, especially he, mm. the horses he used to have. Unbelievable. Yes, yeah. Triton was one of them, a multiple yeah. group one winner. But Sid had a lot of top horses. Stormy Seas was another. Kister was mission. a terrific mare. Classic mission. Yeah. Good horse after good horse, and he got yeah. the best out of them. He certainly did. Well, when he got back to Australia, your dad got the bug again and he yep. decided to regenerate his riding career at Tamworth. Yes. He got going again really quickly and you were about 13 or 14 when you could resist the temptation no longer. <laughs> you started riding gallops alongside your dad and yeah, you, were, uh, you were hooked, completely hooked. Yeah, we actually... Um... I, I just remember, like, he, we, we weren't in Tamworth for long. We actually went to Goulburn for a while. Mm-hmm. And um, we were, and that's where I started to learn to ride, like, to ride work there mm-hmm. um, on a property just outside of Goulburn. 
for Peter Barcham and I was riding a bit of work around the paddock there and um, this is when I start like <laughs> I mean I was just a, a pretty green kid and um, but I, I remember across the paddock across the road from the uh, the stables I got on this horse one morning and and it bouldered around this paddock with me <laughs> it was going a hundred mile <laughs> I thought oh. and um, it come up towards the, the gate where like where Dad had just closed the gate and let me work it around here, mm-hmm. and and I could see like I didn't know how I was going to stay on. It was just going heading towards this steel gate, and anyway, it um it just propped at the gate, and I stopped. I stayed on it for so I just clung around its neck and stayed on it, mm-hmm. and um and Dad just shook his head and he said to me, I remember the words he said to me. He said. Son, you are gonna make it. <laughs> <laughs> Did he really? That was the exact words he said to me. Son, you are gonna make it. <laughs> yeah, inspirational words from Bill Tracy. Yeah, you know, I'll never forget it. When Dad could see you were deadly serious about it, he went right to the top. He arranged an interview for you with Theo Green, who was already emerging as a master tutor. Were you nervous? Uh, no, I was, I, was, I was just keen. I just wanted to get there. Um, and I remember going down, yeah, to the interview with Theo and um, and he, he said, look, he said, son, he said, I'd like to take you, but I've just taken on this young boat, Malcolm Johnson. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> Who I hadn't heard of. No one had heard of at that time. He was just a, mm. a new kid. Like, he, he hadn't even started to ride himself. Like, so, um, but anyway, um he said, I'd like to take on, but I just can't fit you in. Mm. I was probably a little bit taller. Like, I was a little bit taller than Malcolm. And yeah. So um, I didn't really look the jockey type, I suppose. I don't know. Mm. But um, we, so I sort of – I've pretty heard about it. I, I thought, oh, what am I going to do now? But I actually – we ended up going down the road and I had an interview with Vic Thompson Sr. Yeah. And um, Vic Thompson Sr. apprenticed me. I was there for – I was only there for about three months, yeah. but that was when Terry Duckett was there and Gerald Shin, mm. who is actually um, Blake Shin's father. Mm. So, um, just I before we leave Malcolm Johnston, Steve. Yep. And I'm interested in your comment here. You told me on the phone one day that he was the best balanced rider you've ever seen. Definitely. Um, mm. And when I. When I was at Rose Hill, like apprentice there, I was across the road from Theo in the st- the stable area of a morning, mm. and I used to watch. Like Malcolm would come back on a horse, and he and he'd Theo would say, "Sit there, son," and he'd show he he'd say, "Sit like this, do this, get your knees back here, get your toes here," mm. and I used to just sit there and watch Theo pointing the finger, showing him what to do, and making really? him sit down here, and and. It was just something, you know, you just learn things like this off watching a master trainer with his apprentices. And yeah. um, he, he was oh, unbelievable to watch Theo with Malcolm of a morning. Like, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's great story, Steve, and wonderful memories for you. Now, you finally got to start with a character, a Rose yeah. Hill trainer called Jack Norman, who'd yes. won the Golden Slipper with Risling a few years earlier. Yes. Now, while you were there, you broke a leg in a track work fall and you landed, I presume, in Parramatta Hospital. I did. Old Jack came to visit you with more bad news. <laughs> yeah. He just walked in and he said, son, you're no good to me here. He said, when you get out, you better pack your bags and go home. <laughs> <laughs> now, that Steve, was... I remember old Jack Norman very well. And I'd have to say the tact wasn't one of his attributes. You knew where you stood with him at all times. Certainly did. Yeah. <laughs> oh, dear me. You got back on your feet and you headed back to northern New South Wales and you soon got a job with a great little bloke, another one I remember well from Gunnedah, Billy Thompson, who gave you your first race ride on Persopolis at Tamworth, in March of 1975. You didn't run That's a right. drum, but by golly, you were excited. Yes. Um, 
I'd finally made it. I thought <laughs> it was, and it was. It was Tamworth, nineteen thirty-first of March, nineteen seventy-five, mm. um, at Tam at Tamworth. Yeah, and it wasn't long after that that was me first riding a race, and then about a month later, just under a month, probably, um, I won my first race at Gunnada on a mare called Indian Hemp. Correct for for Billy Thompson. So mm. yeah. You moved um, around a little bit in those days. You actually did the latter part of your apprenticeship with Peter Cleel at Grafton. There's another famous racing name on the rivers. Yeah, um, actually moved. I moved from from Corindai to Inverell. But Peter used to do like the, the July Carnival every year. He loved going there. I think mainly to dodge the winter of Inverell. Like we was just mm-hmm. we'd go up there for a month. And stay and do it, uh, the carnival at um, Grafton, and I used to love going there. Like, it was unbelievable. Mm. It was 1987 when you experienced the lowest point of your life. You're yes. on your way to track work one morning at Grafton when your car left the road. It flew <laughs> over a concrete culvert and headed bush. Now, you were flung through the windscreen and the momentum carried you 20 metres away from that car. You didn't break a single bone, but you did suffer some traumatic head injuries. You had to be airlifted to the Royal North Shore where you would spend several weeks and it was a long, hard road ahead. Yes, I remember that November nineteen eighty seven. It was. Um, I don't. I don't remember leaving to go to work that morning. Um, but I heard. Uh, well, what I hear about it, it was a very foggy morning, and I rem- and I know exactly where the accident was because I looked at it every time I drove drove to work in the morning. But um, mm. was downhill through this cement culvert, and yeah. Uh, one of a friend of mine actually was driving into. He used to work at the abattoirs and. He said to me, um, I was driving to work and I just saw through the fog your car. It was parked just down in the ditch on the side of the road. And I thought, that's Stephen's car. And he actually got out and next minute he saw me about 30, 40 metres from the car going through the windscreen. Yeah, God, mate. I think we'll change, although we can't change the subject yet because you went from the Royal North Shore to a rehab centre in the suburbs and it was three months before you went home. And the impact of that brain trauma troubled you for a long time. Yes, it certainly did. Um, like, I was pretty bad. I got—I will admit I got injured pretty bad. Um, the head injuries and uh, eye, like eye injuries. Um, yeah. It, I, loss of, just loss of everything. I didn't know who I was. I was... I didn't know who I was, what had happened, or mm. um, eyesight trouble. Like one eye was turned in, like, and I, I had like a double vision because of the cross. The eyes were crossing each other. Oh, you did um, a job on yourself. I done a good job, but I, yeah. remarkably, <laughs> I survived. I don't know how. Like to go through the windscreen of a car, and. Um, and survive. I think don't think anybody can believe it, and I can't believe it. I've got photos of the car, and yeah. I don't know how I survived. Yeah. The man to throw you a lifeline was Fred Warrad, a stipendiary steward with the NRRA. I remember Fred well. He arranged for you to work as a steward at Northern Rivers meetings, and it worked. It switched you on again, didn't it? It kick-started your thought processes. Yes, it did. I I needed something to get me back into like to racing. I I wanted to ride no matter what. Like that was just in my head. I I had to ride again. Um, doctors did advise me no, you know, I don't even think about it. Balance mainly, but anyway, um, Fred just um, see could see that I needed to do something, and other friends too. Um, Michael Beatty was a great help. Um, and I had a job as a as a an assistant steward for 12 months there and um, mm-hmm. look it helped me out completely I've um, done a heap for me and I appreciate everything that was done for me and that, that mm-hmm. back in that time Steve just sit back and relax for a moment or two while we clear a commitment on the podcast when we come back we're going to talk about that in that inevitable 
return to the saddle. Ask any trainer about the frustrations of having horses who won't clean up their feeds. Those horses who always leave a little more than they should. And for some strange reason, they seem to leave the most the night before they're due to race. Why not try those finicky doers on Pride's Easy Performance, a highly palatable set recipe feed that provides the right muscle fuel while promoting inner health. It's also of benefit in helping horses to recover after a tough run, a barrier trial, or a searching track gallop. Some horses have only one win in them. Others might have two or three. They've got to be happy, healthy, and fit at all times, and on a feed that covers all bases. It's a good feeling for any trainer when a horse looks right and when he or she is leaving the feed bin with a shiny bottom. When the right race comes along, you want a horse who's been on a feeding regime designed to help it get to the line. Pride's Easy Performance is the complete nutritional feed for the equine performance athlete. Well, things happen quickly and you return to race riding at Grafton on the 14th of April, 1990, and it was three years after the motor accident. You had six rides, no winners, three placings, and you were very happy to be back. Yes, that, <laughs> yes, I was glad to be back, I'll tell you. Um, I couldn't believe that, like, I'd, I don't know, I just... To be able to get over what I did and achieve what I did at that time, I just thought, well, this is a miracle. I just, I remember the first time I got on a horse just to ride at work again, mm -hmm. everything was back to front. I was just, I thought, what the hell am I doing? I just, mm -hmm. my balance was completely different. Um, everything had changed. I was just like an upside. <laughs> I don't know. I was like, I was in a different world. It Goodness was. Me. Yeah. Yeah. Disoriented. I was. I was just everything had changed. Like I, my head was too, felt really light and cloudy. Like um, I don't know. I just felt completely different to what I used to be. Mm -hmm. But um, it it was great, <laughs> great to try and to start again. But I I, I thought. I don't know if I can do this anymore. Well, you like did, I, Stephen. You did, and you just kept chipping away and chipping away, gaining confidence, gaining balance, all the things you needed to be riding racehorses. And you tell me your first win back is the race that reinvented you as a jockey. The horse's name was Our Ambition. It was a class five at Grafton, and the trainer was a remarkable fella. Your great supporter, Ross Stitt. That was a day you'll never forget. Yes. Um, Ross, is, Ross and I always have this bit of a joke about him. Um, <laughs> he's mm. been my resurrection. He, he Sometimes I'd be that oh, that behind down in the dumps and he'd bring me back with, with a winner, you know. Um, like for many, many years, um, I would have to say, that um, I was nearly stable rider for Ross, um, and he he used to put me on in front of Robert Thompson at times. Like the the all depends where I went, I suppose. But um, mm -hmm. and I'm and don't think I'm saying I was a better rider than Robert Thompson because I think Robert was probably the greatest country rider we've ever had. So mm -hmm. um, and he could have made it anywhere. Like Robert could have went to Sydney and made it easy. He was just a brilliant brilliant horseman. But um, Ross, yeah. Um, Look, the the things I owe Ross over the years, he I was just had that much luck with Ross, and he used to give give me the rides that that um that just got me, led me to places that um I couldn't go to. Like brilliant, brilliant, brilliant trainer and a mm. great friend, and um yeah, great man, great supporter. Now I don't know if you were aware of this, Steve. I happened to be watching a race on the Northern Rivers the other day. And I just overheard one of the commentators mention the fact that Ross Stitt was entering his 69th year as a trainer. Yeah, well, I hadn't heard that, but um, I can believe it, though. Mm. Yeah, he's um, – I was talk actually talking to him at the last Grafton meeting, and, um, yeah, he, I, I told him that I've actually this – is, this is it, I've – 
this will probably be my last ride and I'm, I'm retiring. <laughs> he, said, he said, really? He said, well, he said, you've, you've, look, he said, you've put in many, many a good years and um, I'm just proud to be associated with you. So, yeah, it was, um, yeah he's a great man. You continued to ride winners for Ross and Stop a Punch was one of the most memorable members of his stable, a remarkable old bush horse who won 37 races all up. You rode him in 13 of them and one of yes. those wins was in a very good race, the James Kirby Handicap, which is the last on Grafton Cup Day, isn't it, traditionally? Yes, it is. It's... Um... He was the first time I got on him was at July Carnival, and he won an improvers. I won an improvers on him, and which is a like a that that says like a class two, like they've won maiden and they go to an improver. Um, but he said, I remember the instruction. Look, son, he said, you mm. cannot go on this horse until you get to the two well a furlong in those. He said, yeah, the two hundred meter mark. He said, don't. Don't move on him," he said. "He'll he'll be up there just off the speed," he said. "But don't straight," he said. "You'll think you've got a horse under you," he said. "Don't move, don't move until the two hundred meter." <laughs> did he? He stressed and it. He stressed it, and yeah. which I did. And look, the horse was back running about fourth or fifth at the two hundred meter mark at Grafton, and I just said, "Got to the two hundred meter mark," and I just said, "Right, oh mate, let's go." And he just look, he gave the unbelievable amount of turn of foot. Yeah. He just, oh, a, a freak horse, like. Yeah. Um, well, thir- oh. 37 wins is a, is a freak performance anyway. Yeah. You know, no jockey rides that little Bowerville track better than you do. And <laughs> Ross did absolutely loved putting you on whenever it was a Bowerville meeting. There was one day there you rode four horses for Ross. They all won. And you could have ridden the program. What was the story there? <laughs> That's a funny story. Um, yeah, I'd ridden the first four winners, and Johnny Hutchins had actually um, he he never ever used to go to Barrowville, but he was going there to ride this thing that he thought was unbeatable, mm. and he was in the last race. And I remember after I, I'd ridden the first four winners, Johnny Hutchins was sitting in there. And he said, "Do you want to ride this last one?" He said, "You'll ride the program." And I was like, just laughing. I said, "Nah, mate." I said, "This, you know." He said, "It'll win." He said, "You can ride the program." He said, "I'll get off it for you." And I said, "Nah, look, John, thanks very much, but um, no, I turned it down." But um, I don't know if he was fair to or not, but um, it was it was a great thing for him to to offer me. So yeah. um, would have yeah. been nice to have on the CV, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would have been. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now in the nineteen nineties, you began an association with Grafton trainer John Shelton, which would last for twelve years and bring hundreds of winners. His stable yes. rider, Stuart Sargent, I think decided to move somewhere else. That's how you got the job. That's right. He um he was going up the Gold Coast or to Brisbane or something for uh I don't know if he was going up for a month or something like that. And mm. um and anyway he he never came back. He just and stayed away and I thought, well, here's an opportunity. Yeah, you know, I'll I'll go over and see John and just see if he he'll like me to write a bit of work for him. And I went over and I, and I said, look John, um you're struggling to get him worked. I said, I wouldn't mind if I, would you mind if I come out and just wrote a few work for you every morning? He said, no. Nah. He said, I'd really appreciate it. Mm. And so it started there and, um, wow. What a the run. The winners, oh, did we have a run like. Incredible. Incredible run over the, about the 13 years, yeah. Mm. Well, in the year 2000, you and John shared in a magic moment a win in the famous Ramoni Handicap a race you'd always wanted to win. You led all the way on a brilliant mare called Mother's Gift, who won 15 races all up. She was a really top-class bush mare, wasn't she? She was a very good mare. Um, I, like, oh, the, the speed that she had was just phenomenal. Um, and I I'd only, I'd only rode her four times, I think, in... Like she won at Ramwick and she'd won in Brisbane a few times. And um, the first time I rode her, I won a 
sprint race on uh, at um, Lismore over the Cup Carnival, and then then she went on and she won. Uh, she went to Brisbane and won after that, and I didn't ride. I like yeah. I, I I didn't get around much, but um, and then I was offered the ride on her in the Ramoni, and um, mm. I nearly died when she drew sixteen alley. I thought, oh my god. Yes, yeah, that's the end <laughs> but, of it. Um, yeah, but oh, look, she jumped a length in front and crossed them with a head on her chest, and they just left me alone. And I thought they're not going to beat this. Yeah, and she straightened, and I just. Give her a click, and she just went away from him. And yeah, look, that's I have to be the highlight of my career. Like um, mm. to win that race was just unbelievable. John Sheldon to this day talks about your work ethic. He told me about an occasion when the floods had come to Grafton, <laughs> and he told you to have a morning off because you lived a long way out of town at a place called Coots Crossing. Somehow you got through the water and you walked into his stables to start work. He couldn't believe his eyes. <laughs> yeah, well, I reckon I rode a boat across the river, but um, yeah. <laughs> now I found a road that got me there. Uh, but, uh, look, we had a really great association, John and I, and, and uh, yes, I never missed a morning. In the 13 years I was with him, I did not miss a morning, and, I, mm. and which I... You know, I just pride myself on that. I, I really like. I enjoyed writing work. So, um, mm. and for the people who look after me, I look after them. So, yeah, John Shelton has become a legend in Northern New South Wales, but there've been a few other trainers in the region for whom you've had special admiration. Oh, definitely. Um, I admire every, every trainer in in a, any area, like especially the country, like. I think what they do is a is unbelievable job. Um, it's it's hard work, and the hours are long, and it can be. It, it's such a it is a, re, a rewarding um, job, but it can be it can be so unrewarding as well. Like, it, it, mm. and you've you've got to be tough to keep going. Mm. You rode many winners in Brisbane. But amazingly, you had only one solitary ride in Sydney, which amazes me. It was 1984, and Ross Stitt got you to come down to ride Miss Godson at Randwick. You thought she could win too. She ran second. I think Beaver Schofield rode the winner. He did. Um, yeah, I was, I was like, I'd won a lot of races on the mare, she, a, few, a few cups around this area. And um, and she was a very good mare, Miss Godson, and and yeah, I thought she's going to be worthwhile going. Like I, I think she can win too, and yeah, Ramwick and um, the mile at Ramwick, and I just thought, geez, this is how good's this. And um, yeah. but yeah, I was. She had every possible chance. Uh, the winner was just too good. She got yeah. beat a couple of lengths, so. But, um, yeah, it was a great thrill to go to Ramwick and have a ride, so. Let me throw this one at you. The toe-in style of riding was invented in Europe and it was brought to Australia by jockeys who'd ridden overseas. But right from the start, there were some local riders who flatly refused to adopt it. Shane Dye wanted no part of it. Darren Beedman wanted no part of it. Hugh Bowman w was violently opposed to it, and there were several others. You decided to give it a little try, didn't you? Well, I did. I thought, what are they all finding that that everybody else isn't? Like, why do they why do they actually want to be up on their toes or the ball of their feet? And I thought, I've got to look at it, you know, and I thought, I just, I studied it and I thought, I looked at other athletes, like you look at um, boxers or people who skip rope or even riding a bike, you do it on the ball or the toes of your feet and it's, um, I don't know, it just gives you a better feel for things. Mm. Um, like like I said, skipping rope, you, you skip on the ball or your toes, you spring off your toes and off, and the same as jumping off the block when you're swimming or mm. riding a bike. Like it's, I thought it's got to be a feel thing for sure and I, and I found out, like just riding work, I started off just riding work up on the on my toes and the ball of my feet, mm. and I thought, well, 
It does. It gives you a better feel for the horse. Mm. It honestly does. That was, and if you feel if you're feeling better, like it's got to be a great help to you. If you're feeling a, it actually makes you feel like you're a part of the horse. Like you're floating, floating yeah, on their it, back. Well, you've you've adopted it and you've been using it for quite a few years now. Yeah, um, and it's I could never go back. I could even riding work now. Like I'm I'm on my toes or the ball of my feet all the time. Like it's yeah. like I said, it gives you a better feel. The only one thing that I will say, if they actually come to a halt really quick, put on the brakes, mm. it'll steer you over their head pretty quick. because yeah, yeah. like I said, it's a springboard effect. Mm. It gives you it'll make you spring out of the iron. So. Um, mm. Now, anyway. what about the bush jockeys you've competed with for so many years, including some of those old hardheads who've asked <laughs> no quarter and given none? You're probably one of them. Uh, yeah, like I can remember back in the 80s and 90s riding against um, oh, some – like the, I, they're, all, they're friends. They were always friends, like blokes like – Jockeys like Johnny Hutchings, mm. Graham Burney, Peter Stanley, um, like to, to and Leon, even Leon Fox at Inverell. Like oh. Leon was a brilliant rider. He was very tall and heavy, but I mean Leon could have made it anywhere. He he it was a brilliant rider, Leon, and mm. and I think he could have went anywhere and, and ridden winners, Leon, like it. Um, mm. But Johnny Hutchings. Graham, like all them blokes in a race, you just knew where you couldn't go. <laughs> yeah, and what about like, our old mate, currently a very popular sky racing personality, Gary Cleesey? Oh, Gary. <laughs> Gary, yeah, he was a brilliant rider too, like Gary. Um, he, he's a fantastic bloke too, Gary. Uh, yes, I'll say. But he was a great rider. He was like all those Ballina jockeys, they used to ride. Mm. They'd be hard to, like, beat all of them. Yeah. Now, Steve, your first Coffs Harbour Gold Cup was way back, 1979, on a Victorian horse, surprisingly, called Dear Boy. Yeah, he was a great horse to me. Um, like I said, he came to, to Grafton at the July Carnival and he won a rural stakes. I did, he'd only won – he was like an improver horse – He'd won a rural stakes. His next start, he won the Gra the South Grafton Cup, and then after that, he'd come to the Coffs Harbour Cup and won the Coffs Harbour Cup. Like unbelievable! And from there, I went on and rode him in the Newcastle Gold Cup, mm. and he ran fifth behind a horse called Ico that Tommy Smith trained. Yeah, good horse too. He won a Doncaster later. Yeah, yeah, mm. but he was a very good horse to me too. Yeah. You won a second Coffs Harbour Cup years later on a remarkable horse called Maltese Beauty. And you know what? It's unlikely you ever won a race anywhere by a bigger margin. <laughs> yeah, it was a heavy 10, the track. And um, I actually got the ride. I never had a ride in the race. And Graham Burney was to ride the horse and he couldn't make the weight at only 850 two or 51 kilos or something. And um, so I was the only one in the room that could ride the, the weight. And, mm -hmm. well, the rest is history. The horse just <laughs> jumped to the front and never got ahead. He, he, I think he won be about, I don't know, 13 lengths or something. So mm. it was a great win. You got your well-deserved jockey's premiership in the 1998-99 season. Now, they say you can't eat premierships, but it's, <laughs> it's nice to have one on the CV, isn't it? It is. It's um like like I said in those years I was riding against blokes like Graham Burney, Johnny Hutchins, who were winning it every year. Like Johnny Hutchins, I think he won it for about I don't know how many years in a row. Graham Burney mm. won it so many years in a row, mm. and um, they were just you know I, I'd either run second or third to them or every year. But this one year, um, I happened to yeah just fluke beating them. So you're too modest. Now, you're the father of four from previous marriages, and uh, the kids are Alison, Israel, Brad, and the baby is Taylor, who've yes. all followed your riding career with obvious interest. Yeah, they, um, I think they're, I don't know, they're sort of proud of what their father's done, I suppose. Um, 
to get back from the car accident and do what I've done, I consider it to be like my greatest win to me is just being able to ride again after that accident because yeah. I I honestly don't think many people, many other people that wanted to ride would have took on trying to make a comeback. It was, um, yeah, uh, that's probably, I think they're proud of their father for doing that. So. Yeah, so they should be and you should be too. Now, should you decide to quit race riding, I can see your wife, Donna, building up the team considerably <laughs> for two reasons. She, she'll have a champion work rider and a superstar stable foreman. Yeah, <laughs> well, that'll remain to be seen. Um, <laughs> look, it, was, it took a lot for me to allow to get this this next one, I'll tell you, only that I had a sort of a soft spot for the the mayor, Um Nutcracker. Yeah. I don't, I don't think I would have let her get it. <laughs> no, no. No, because you know you're going to be sorely tempted. Yeah. 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 Um, I will be. Don't worry about that. <laughs> Stephen, I'll tell you why I made um, uh, a super effort to track you down and line you up for a podcast. You've put in a massive number of hours over many, many years to help a lot of people in country racing. You've ridden with great distinction and most importantly, you've brought nothing but credit to the ranks of New South Wales country jockeys. Well played. Well, thank you very much, John. Um, that's I really appreciate your kind words and um, look, and I, I appreciate every the, everybody in racing that has helped me out. Um, I've I've had a great career. I've achieved everything that I ever wanted to do, really. And um, and I really appreciate the people that have stood by me over the years, and and thank them very much. And I thank you for this great podcast. Thank you. Our special guest on this Supernova Sound podcast was Stephen Tracy. Ticket sales are humming along for the 2023 Kosciuszko sweepstakes. 14 lucky ticket holders will get to share in the $2 million prize money on offer for this year's edition of the world's richest race for country and ACT trained horses. $5 sweepstake tickets are available until the 6th of September via the TAB app, local pubs and clubs, TAB agencies and at New South Wales race meetings. 14 winners will be drawn on Friday September the 8th and those winners will be in a position to offer their slots to the owner or owners of one of the Kosciuszko runners. Slot holders and owners will negotiate a prize money split suitable to both parties. It's hard to believe five years have passed since the Grafton train Bell Flyer won the first Kosciuszko on a heavy track. 2019 it was the Canberra train to handle the truth. 2020 the Scone Mare It's Me who finished very fast to win the big race. 2021, Arcado became the only horse to win the country championship Kosciuszko double. Last year, the Wagga Train front page was an impressive winner and is expected to line up again in 2023. Ticket sales close September the 6th. Draw will be held on September the 8th and will be broadcast live on Sky Thoroughbred Central and RacingNewSouthWales.com.au.